Well, today I want to bring a message that is entitled, uh, Calling Upon the Lord. And it's found in Psalm 86. And in Psalm 86, it is basically the psalmist who is spending more time talking uh, to God and about God than he is talking about himself. And it is a psalm about prayer. It's a psalm of probably why we pray, uh, the reasons why we pray, uh, the, not the difficulties we have in our life because of our need of prayer, but the fact that prayer is there uh, for a purpose. And so today I want to bring you some uh, kind of lessons on prayer based on Psalm 86. Now it's, it's only 17 verses long, and I'll be referring to a lot of them. And, and we'll try to go down through them. Now you, for those at home, you may not see a PowerPoint this morning, so you may want to um, just open your Bibles to Psalm 86 and then maybe uh, circle it or make a little check mark by the references of Scripture, and that'll probably keep you uh, focused on, on the message. But, of course, those in-house will see a PowerPoint. But in, eight, in Psalm 86, it says, Listen, Lord, and answer me. Now, this is a key here. For I am poor and needy. Now, that's probably the key to the entire psalm. And it's probably the key to the understanding of the importance of prayer for your life and mine. It's something that if we're not poor and needy, then we need to get there. Okay? So I'll make mention and understanding about that in just a moment. So listen, Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and needy. Protect my life, for I am faithful. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. You notice the personal pronouns there? Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant's life, since I set my hope on you, Lord. For you, Lord, are kind. Now, here's another key. For you are kind and ready to forgive, abundant in faithful love to all who call upon you. Lord, hear my prayer and listen to my plea for mercy. I call on you in the day of my distress. You will answer me. Lord, there's no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come down and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. And here's another key. Teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind. Give me a united heart to fear your name. I will praise you with all my heart, Lord, my God, and I will honor your name forever. For your faithful love for me is great, and you deliver my life from the depths of shale. God, arrogant people have attacked me. A gang of ruthless men seeks my life. They have no regard for you. Might as well put, and I pity them. But you, Lord, are compassionate. And gracious, a gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in faithful love and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. 
Save the son of your female servant. Show me a sign of your goodness, and my enemies will see and put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped and comforted me. You know, powerful psalm, isn't it? It's a psalm that basically indicates uh, the need that we have in our own life for prayer. And the psalmist himself is at a point where he's crying out to God because of the circumstances around him. But it really wasn't because of the attack of enemies, and it really wasn't because he feared his life. The reason why he was calling upon the Lord was because he sought relationship with God. He sought to understand where God is in his life. He sought to find God at a point where, uh, for himself, where he could fill the void that the psalmist had in his life. And so he calls upon God. And I trust today that you and I understand the need of calling upon God, the reasons why we call upon God, the basis of that, as well as the understanding of the various things that we pray for in our life. There may be things in our life that we pray for that we find that are not necessary any longer, and there's other things in our life that we haven't been praying for that we need to make a priority in our life. And I think the psalmist gives us understanding about prayer. And so let me give you some lessons on prayer, not lessons that I've learned, but lessons that the psalmist gives us and right from the Scripture. The lessons on prayer. Now remember this, the psalm is rich in these lessons. Seven times the psalmist addresses and refers to God as sovereign Lord. And yet um, he, he, he calls him Elohim. He calls him Yahweh. He actually refers to him with eternal power. And he recognizes the fact it is God who, who makes and keeps his covenant uh, with his people. He refers to him as Adoniah in this particular uh, psalm, using the Greek understanding for the names of God, which all have meaning and substance because we're talking about the name that has a personal name for God. We're talking about a name that is used for the sovereignty of God. And we're talking about a name that is used for the relationship, the relational God. And so the psalmist sees God as sovereign. He sees him as Lord. And he sees him as one who wants relationship with him as he is desiring greater relationship with God. And when, when prayer, when that becomes a part of our life, then prayer becomes the major facet and the importance of our life. When we are seeking not something that God can give us, but when we're seeking a greater, deeper relationship, prayer comes to life. And so let's think about these lessons on prayer. First of all is the basis for prayer. So keep this in mind as we go forward, the basis of prayer. And it's interesting that the psalmist talks to God as if he's talking to him as friend to friend. You know, he's in the same room with him or sitting down at the table. And he, he clears his throat and he recognizes that he's in the presence of holy God 
and he prays to him, and he talks to him, learning things from God because God is God, and the psalmist realizes there's no way that he is for his own personal life, that he is this poor and needy person. Now go back in verse 1, as I said, is the key to this entire psalm. Listen, Lord, and answer me. Now, this is not saying that the psalmist is trying to manipulate in any way, form, or fashion, trying to manipulate God to answer his prayers. In fact, if that is your focus and mine, we're in trouble. Now, let's think about, for I am poor and needy. It must be a deep sense of need and helplessness in our life. So that's the understanding in verse 1, for I am poor and needy. This is not about uh, financial poverty here. It has nothing to do with the richness of those things of wealth around us or not. We're talking about, as Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So we're talking about the poverty of our spirit. We're talking about humility before God. We're talking about approaching God and realizing that we need God in our life because if we don't, we're missing the greatest substance. We're missing the greatest facet and focus of our life. It's the poor in spirit. And realizing that we have need, that without God, our needs cannot be met. Without God, there, there, is no, there is no response to the, the, the neediness of who we are. And so the basis of that prayer, the reason why, and you think about why prayer is there, it has to come from a deep sense of helplessness and poverty of spirit. Now, I know you've met a person that has that poor in spirit. It's encouraging. It's, it, they're huggable. They're approachable. They're the people you want to invite over to, for Thanksgiving dinner and they stay all the way to Easter. It's the type of person you don't want to see leave your house because you learn lessons from them and you, you, hear, you hear what they say. You, you see things in their life that, that has, um, that has uh, a way to motivate you to be that type of person. Now, I will say that the poor in spirit can be far and few between sometimes when you're out in the, the world beyond the comfort of a church family. And we can help one another to understand the poor in spirit. When one has the haughtiness, there's always that check and balance that someone helps us to come back down and, and remind us that, that we don't need to be full of our own sense of pride, that we need to stay at the state of helplessness, that we cannot accomplish what we need to accomplish without God helping us. And so the basis of that prayer is the deep sense of helplessness. A second idea based on that scripture is in verse 2, where he says, protect my life for I am faithful. Now some translation says, for I am holy. Now the word uh, holy here is really more understood as as being faithful. So we're talking about a devotion to the Lord. So a deep sense of helplessness, the basis of prayer is that deep sense of helplessness and a devotion to the Lord that we are devoted to God. 
That's the basis of our prayer. That's why we pray, because there's a devotion and there's a love for God, and it's a devoted part of our heart. So therefore, we want to pray, but we realize it's because that He is holy, yes, but we are to remain faithful to that holiness. Now, get this picture. We walk into the king's court, and everyone clears the court, and the doors open, and you're seeing God sitting on His throne. And he doesn't make one move towards you. He doesn't make one hand gesture. All he does is look straight ahead. And you, you very quietly and humbly approach the king. There's silence in the court. And all of a sudden, there's God. And you realize it is God. And you stand before him. And you don't open your mouth. And you stand right before him with your hands folded and your eyes focused into his eyes. And then he says, what's your reason for needing to call upon me? And you say to him back, God, you are holy and I am not. You're faithful, and I'm trying my best to be faithful to you. Can I talk with you about the needs of my life? And he says, you've got my attention. I'm here all day long. Whatever you need to talk to me about, I want to hear from you as my son or my daughter. Now, that's the understanding And we realize that when we're devoted to God, we realize from the standpoint that God's already been devoted to us from the beginning. There is a mutual devotion that happens between the two. And His devotion for us is not, it does not grow as the years go by. It's just as much devoted to us from day one as it is to when we are standing in the king's court in heaven face-to-face with God. But our devotion for Him can, can accelerate. It can grow. It can, it, can, it can magnify itself as we understand what de- love and devotion to God is all about. And then he, another understanding of the basis of prayer is a continual, excuse me, is a trust in the Lord is a trust in the Lord. In verse 2, it says that that you are my God. The psalmist recognizes that that right now, I feel as if God is all mine. (laughs) I really feel like that he's he's saying that, that no one else knows God like I know you. He feels that personal connection. The charisma of God is attracting him to his presence. And he says, He says, you are my God. And he says, save your servant who trusts in you. So the basis of prayer, now keep that in mind. We're talking about the basis of prayer. Why are we praying, basically? What's the reasons of prayer in our life? It's because there's a trust level. And you see that in in verse 2. He says, you know, save your servant who trusts trusts in you. There's a lot of things we trust in, don't we? I mean, think about it. And, and, and we have to. I know that. I mean, we trust the chairs we sit in. 
We trust the, 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 when we grab the remote control that the TV comes on. You know, we trust that the Internet's not going to kick us off through a live uh, service. You know, we, we trust in a lot of things. But those types of trust don't change our life. It doesn't impact our life other than maybe create an inconvenience for a moment. We trust in the stock market. We trust in our leaders. We trust in our work environment. We trust in our employer, employees. We trust in our family. We trust in our cars. We, <laughs> we trust in all those things. And then all of a sudden, they just kind of clonk out on us. Or, but again, all it does is provide an inconvenience for a time. But what's the one trust that matters? The trust in God. Realizing that, that our trust in Him is beyond imagination. Our trust in Him is, is beyond what we could ever dream and imagine to it really to be in our life. It's, it's a mind-blowing experience. And that trust in Him is the basis of our prayer or prayer life, is the basis of just prayer in general. So again, reasons why we pray. And then a, a, another, another aspect of understanding the basis of prayer is a continual calling upon the Lord. He says in verse 3, Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Now, don't, don't interpret it as because I call upon you, therefore I'm asking you to be gracious. He's not, he's not putting intimidation towards God and saying, you know, because I'm faithful and because I'm devoted and because I'm doing all this all day long, therefore you have to bless me, so get off your high horse, God, and give it to me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in the demonstration of my desire to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm asking that if you will, in, your, in the economy of who you are, if you would like to be gracious to me, God, I will receive it. But if you're not gracious to me, I will deal with it. And it's not going to change my devotion. It's not going to change my trust. It's not going to change my, my, my understanding of who you are. In fact, it's going to keep me in a helpless state. So therefore, I'm going to still call upon you every moment of the day, and I'm going to continue to call upon you. But I know that you're gracious. I know that you're mercy. And I need grace, and I need mercy. That's a beautiful thing in prayer. It goes back to the poor in spirit. You remember I said that's the key to this whole thing. And it's the understanding of that poor in spirit. Letting go of that haughtiness and realizing that we are standing and we are in the presence of the majesty and the power of God when we pray. It's a beautiful thing. Continually, call, continually calling upon the Lord. And in verse 5, he says, For you, Lord, are kind. And you are ready to forgive. And it goes on to say, an abundant and faithful love to all who call upon you. He says, for you, Lord, I love this translation, for you, Lord, are good. You are powerfully good. You are full of goodness. And you are the creator of goodness. And you're ready to forgive. You're ready to free me. You're ready to give me life. And you're abundant in mercy. You're abundant in kindness. And you want to give all those who call upon you these very things. And I know that, God. So therefore, it is a, an assuring knowledge of God that he is full of mercy, that he's full of goodness, and he is full of grace, and he is abundant, ready to pour that onto the life of the individual who crawls out to God and says, I know who you are. This great knowledge of God is amazing. And because of what I know, I ask you, God, to give me what you are in my life. 
powerful. So it's the knowledge of God, the assuring knowledge of God, okay? And for, for you, Lord, are good, ready to forgive and abundant in mercy. And so therefore, understand what mercy is. Mercy is kindness. Mercy is going beyond what we could ever dream. Mercy is not just saying, okay, I'm not going to hit you because you made me mad. That's not mercy. Mercy is saying, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to give you freedom in our relationship. I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to, to, to hand to you um, the readiness of abundant friendship that says, I'm not holding anything against you. And so we realize the knowledge of God is that when we confess our sins, that he's just and he's faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's, it's, it's like he holds the eraser and he takes the whiteboard and he begins to erase it all. And we have that knowledge that that's the God in whom we serve. That's the God in whom we pray to. And we know that the people around us, it's hard for the people around us to forgive. Now, they will forgive, yes, but the forgetting seems to remain a little longer <laughs> than the offer of forgiveness because of our memory. And we understand that. But with God, it's wiped away in memory as well as the magnitude of freedom. And that's amazing. And that's the assuring knowledge of God. So again, the reasons why we pray is because he's the answer to those prayers. <laughs> he's the answer based on these things of the sense of helplessness, the devotion, the trust in him, the continual calling, and that assuring knowledge of who God is. Now let me give you another lesson on prayer. You think, man, that was just one lesson? Yeah, it was. All right, let me give you a second lesson on prayer, okay? It'll go a little faster. Is the occasion of prayer. In other words, why do we pray? I mean, what's, what's the reason why, what's the occasion in our life that leads us uh, to prayer? And, and you go back to the psalmist. Again, we're just following the psalm here and getting the lessons right from the scripture. And it's in verse seven. He says, I call on you. I call on you in the day of distress and you answer me. In other words, he said, in the day of my trouble, I call upon you. Now, if we were to find, so we're talking about the day of trouble, we were to, if we were to take a moment and give everyone an opportunity, those back home to put on in response to the, the feed and, and give us some interaction as well as giving you the opportunity to answer and say, all right, here's my day of trouble. When I look back in my life, this was the one day I can say of all the days of trouble, this was my one day of trouble. Yeah, it's too many, isn't it, Donna? But that one day of trouble might have been the day in which really became a good day because we became more dependent on God in that day of trouble. We let go of things that we needed to let go of and we grabbed a hold of things that we needed to interact with or invite into our life that is good. And so this, this day of trouble, we, we call upon the Lord. Now, if, if your day of trouble is longer than you want it to be, and I'm not going to say that this is the reason why, but 
Could it be that your day of trouble is lasting a little longer because you haven't called upon him? You're trying to handle it yourself. You're saying, God, have mercy on me. I need help. But that's one thing. But when you, when you, when you bow before the king, remember, walk into the king's court. And everybody clears out. And God says, why are you here? And you get on your knees and you say to God, God, I can't deal with this anymore. This day of trouble is tough. And I'm giving it to you. And I want you to help me with this. And that's different than saying, oh, Lord, bless me. Give me strength in the midst of my difficulty. So we get to that point in which we turn the day of trouble over to God. And we give it to him, knowing that he's saying, okay, thank you. Thank you that you've unloaded your burden. Thank you that you, you finally got to that point where you don't want to hold on to it anymore. You don't want to carry the baggage on your shoulders any longer. You don't want to have it in your back pocket. You don't want to carry it around with you driving when you're all, wherever you go. You don't want it anymore. And I'm glad you got to that point and your day of trouble is going to change now that you give it to me. Again, we're talking about what's the occasion? Why do we pray? What causes us to pray? A day of trouble will cause us to pray. Just as the psalmist says, he realizes he's got a day of trouble. And he says, in the day of trouble, I call upon you. And the second of all is a day of opposition. You see in verse 14, he says, God, arrogant people have attacked me. A gang of ruthless men seek my life. Now, I hope none of us really can give an example to where we feel like we've been attacked by someone in our life, but we may all can in some degree, or we feel as if, and hopefully we don't have a ruthless gang <laughs> that's chasing us down, you know, waiting for us to go into a dark alley. But you get that kind of picture, but the, the psalmist, because of his belief in God and his, his point of confidence that God is who he is, and that he's going to serve him regardless of what happens in his life and regardless of those who are faithful or not around him. You know, he's being attacked, but he's being persecuted because of his faith. He's being persecuted because he belongs to Jehovah God. He's being persecuted because he knows his Abba Father. He's being persecuted because he, he knows when he enters into the court that he has the king's attention. He knows that he has relationship with God. And all those things become his day of opposition because he says, these people are attacking me because of my faith in you, because of my trust level, because of my devotion, because I want to hang with God every day of my life. And I want God to be Lord of my life every day of my life. And because of that, I have people who are seeking to harm me. So again, we're talking about an occasion in our life, what leads us to prayer. Could be a day of trouble. It could just be opposition. It may be opposition that someone's just not liking you or a friend who's turned against you or someone who's talking about you or gossiping about you. And that becomes a day of opposition because you feel like you're at the point in which you're at opposing ends to someone else and you feel as if you're being attacked. Again, reasons why we go to God, don't try to handle it yourself. Your trouble will be more than trouble and your opposition will be more powerful than you could ever imagine without God. So give it to God. Go to his court, bow before his presence and say, God, I'm letting you deal with it.
I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to love them until their skin crawls. I'm going to kiss them until they're all wet. I'm going to hug them until I take the breath away. I'm not going to let them go, and I'm going to show them that your love is more powerful than their opposition. So I'm giving it to you. So the occasion of prayer, a day of trouble, a day of opposition, and this is the exciting part, a day of revelation. A day of revelation. And look in verse 11. He says, teach me your way. In verse 11, Lord, teach me your way, Lord, and I will live, I will live, 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 live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. He says, teach me, teach me what only you can teach me, God, and I will walk in your truth. Your truth will guide me. Your truth will motivate me. Your truth will become the pavement under my feet and, and it will guide me and it will be the compass of my life. And I'm asking that you unite my heart to your heart, that my heart becomes the same beat as your heart so that when I see something in life, I see God and not me. So my unity in you will be exactly what you desire it to be, that I will become the imitation of God on earth in my life so that we become so united with God. Now, that's a great prayer. It's a great day of revelation when we realize that we cannot function in life without our heart being united and tied together with God. I like the little... Um, tradition where you have the tying of the knot where the, the, the groom and the bride come forward and you grab a piece of uh, you know string or whatever they've provided uh, colors of different cords they call it and you tie you wrap it around the wrist and then you tie it tight I like to do that and go because when you got it real tight you you got up to, they both have one hand available to untie it. But when you're trying to untie something, you really need two hands to do it. So I like to go pull it tight during the ceremony to recognize the fact that you need the uniting together of oneness to make the marriage work. And if the oneness becomes less in one of the couple, of one person's life of the couple, then that unity suffers, right? And so we're talking about the unity of heart and mind and it's, it's, the tying of the, it's the tying of the knot with God. It's coming before God and saying, I'm giving up all the other, other things that I think are important and I'm reaching my arm out to you because I want to be tied to you. I want my heart to be in beat with your heart. And that's a day of revelation. It's where we give up ourself and we put God in the forefront. Again, these are the occasions of prayer. Now, we can go on and on. There's many other occasions that call for prayer in our life, but those are just the three that the psalmist mentions in this psalm in his life. Now, let's move to the third lesson on prayer, and it's the subjects of prayer, or the subject. Probably could list it, not even plural, but the subject of prayer or subjects of prayer. Now, in verse 13, again, these are the the focal points of the message that I've given you, those three, the basis of prayer, the occasion of prayer, and the subjects of prayer. And then understanding the subjects of prayer 
are enumerated in the Scripture from verses 13, verse 4, back in verse 4, verse 11, verse 11, and verse 16. So I just told you, you're getting ready to get five more points. Number one, the preservation of life. He says, preserve my life. Verse 13, for your faithful love for me is great, and you deliver my life from the depths of shale. You have preserved my life. Now, I know that there's many couples out there that say, I testify to this, that if it wasn't for my spouse, I would not be who I am today. And my spouse kind of rescued me from the life that I was living. Sure, there's some testimonies uh, who are listening in and, and testimonies in this very building. And if it wasn't for them, we could have really been in a bad situation. So we give them testimony. Now, that's one thing. But we're talking about another preservation of life. We're talking about where God preserves our life, where God puts a fortification and a hedge around us. It's almost as if he says, listen, I can spare about three angels because you're going to need more than one. And so I'm going to put them to where they're, they're on your right and your left. They're in front of you and they're behind you. Just like the president when he flies, you got jets on all sides and then on the ground, you got secret servicemen. In the air, you got secret servicemen. You got secret servicemen when he takes off, and he's got secret servicemen when he lands. And he's got planes all around him on both sides, above him and below him. Try to hit Air Force One, you're gone. So God says, I know that you need more than one angel. And so I'm just going to put something around you, and I'm going to guide you through life, and I'm going to preserve your life. Provided. We go back to the trust, the devotion, the heart united with him, the allowing of his DNA to trans, transform our DNA spiritually. And, and he, you know, he, he knows what he's working with. He's working with one who's, who's coming to love him greater every day and one who realizes his helplessness every day, one who realizes the importance of the poor in spirit every day. And as a result, the blessing the subject of prayer is to say to God, God, I need to be preserved and only you can do it because I have no power in doing it. Second thing, an understanding of the subjects of prayer is the joy in life. Again, these are, these are subjects that we pray. These are things we pray about. And we ask God to, to protect us and to preserve our life. But then we, we pray to God because there is joy. Joy leads to thanksgiving. Joy leads to praise. And so he says, rejoice the soul of your servant. And back in verse 4, bring joy to your servant's life since I set my hope on you. Bring joy to your servant's life. And then verse 12, taking verse 4 and verse 12 together, I will praise you with all my heart, Lord my God, and will honor your name forever. There's joy in his life. He's saying, God, I get joy when I go out and cut the grass and look back and it's nice and neat. I get joy when I wash my car. I get joy when I clean my house. I get joy when I get new clothes. But that's not the joy we're talking about. We're talking about the joy that's wrapped up in relationship to God that gives us joy that the door's even open to allow us to come into the court. We're realizing the fact that we are the honored guest in his presence, that we have his undivided attention, 
that He matters to us, but more importantly, we matter to Him. And He welcomes us into the court, and that is great joy. When everything else fails in life, God is there. And there is great joy knowing that He's there. And we praise His name and we honor Him because of who He is and what He's done in our life. So there's joy. Again, subjects of prayer, reasons why we pray, things we pray about is because of the joy in our life. Number three is the instruction for life. The psalmist says in verse 11, he says, teach me your way. Teach me your way. He's saying, instruct my life. Help my life to be a life of instruction. Teach me your way. Sounds like Psalm 139. Teach me, O God. And, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And if there's, there's clutter and dirt and junk and all that stuff in my life, clean it out so that I can live the way of everlasting. That I can live by your instruction. That I, can, I live by it and I die by it. That your truth is important to me and I want it to be important in my life. And I need that instruction. Teach me. Teach me so that I can be more poor in spirit. Teach me so that I can understand my helplessness more. Teach me so that I can see your majesty as I need to see it, your holiness as it is. Teach me that I can see you as God and I need you more than anything else in my life. Teach me so that I can be more devoted to you. Teach me so that I can be faithful to you. Teach me so that I can be what you want me to be. That's a different type of prayer and a subject to pray about. It's not just, Lord, teach me a little bit about this scripture I read because I'm confused. It's, Lord, teach me what this scripture says that impacts my life so that I'm more in line with you. It's different. And that's what he's asking. Again, the subject of prayer. Another one is this, and I love this one, is the unification of life. He says in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and I'll live by you. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear. We know it's not being scared. Guys, the, the revelation is God is magnificent. He is holy and he is just. We recognize he is the one who is the giver of forgiveness, mercy, and care, compassion, mercy, all those things. And we're standing in the presence of the very creator of all those things. We're not standing there waiting to stick our hand in the goodie bag and see what we pull out. We're standing there because we're all strucken. We're all strucken because we realize that, that he, he has life in his hands and he has my life. He has your life in his hands. The unification of life comes from, yes, our heart being in line with his, our will being in line with his will, W-I-L-L, is, is realizing the magnitude of reverence for God. Reverence for being in his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I was invited into the king's court, and the doors opened, and I, and I saw everyone leave. And God just says, come on. I'd have to take my cell phone out and go, and put it back up. And maybe do a selfie, just to show that, that, that I'm in his presence, that, 
that it is a major revelation that I'm right there in the powerfulness of Almighty God. Powerful indeed. And last is this, as we talk about the subject of prayer, is the strength for life. In verse 16, he says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your servant strength. Give your strength, excuse me, to your servant. Save the son of your female servant. He says, give your strength to your servant. I love those personal pronouns. He's really gotten into his relationship with God. He's like, man, I know God so well that there's no more room for you. Now, that's not really his attitude. But to get the picture, he is in love with God. He is mesmerized that he has relationship with God. And he really feels like the personal connection is with God. And that's the personal relationship. And, and he says, will you give me your strength? I don't just need strength for my life. I need your strength to be given to your servant. And that's the subject of prayer. There comes a time where we say to God, God, I just feel like I need some preserving here. I need some protection and, and there's joy in my life, so God, I want, to give you, I want to give you thanks and praise for what you've helped create in my life and the joy that I'm experiencing because I love you and I've been in relationship with you and I want to praise your name. Or it may be this time where you say, I just need to be taught. I need some more teaching. I need to be more in oneness and unified with you. And I have to go through life with your strength so that I can continue as your servant. I mean, those are powerful subjects of prayer. This psalmist is in, in a deep relationship with God. And he is challenging us to look at our own relationship, our own prayer life. Well, as you do, what's your greatest need today? Now, there's a lot of needs, I know. There, there's, we can probably just get out a, a board and just allow what's the needs that we all have today that relates to all of us at the same time. We can come up with a bunch. I know we can. But in hearing this message on prayer from Psalm 86, in relation to just Psalm 86, what is your greatest need today? Now, I can't answer that for you. But I, I think you get it. I think you understand it. Our greatest need that all of us collectively can agree that we need today is, to, is a, more, a deeper personal relationship with God. You say, well, I'm already close to God. Well, you're not as close as you need to be. If you think you've arrived, you just fell off. If you think you've got it, you just missed it. It has to continue. And I think today, whether we're in this building or home, our greatest need collectively together is to say that I need a deeper relationship with God. I need to be deeper in my devotion. I need to be deeper in my trust. I need to be deeper in my faith. I need to be deeper in what I do for Him. I need to be more conscious 
of how, what I say and where I go and what I do. I, I, I know that it's because every day the poverty of my spirit is greater and greater every day the, the deeper and deeper I grow to know Him. And the helplessness that I am at is magnified when I see that He is the provider of my helplessness. It should always be that. As He is elevated, we are deflated. <laughs> so when we come into the king's court, it just may be that God's holding the little pen and He says, come a little closer. And you get all the way up to Him and He pulls out the pen and He pops the bubble and He watches us just deflate right before Him. And when we get down to the uselessness that we need to feel and the helpless state that we need to be in and the poverty of spirit, if we're just laying face down before him, holding on to his feet, then he says, thank you. Thank you for humbling yourself before the creator of the world. The same God who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. The same God who helped Solomon to build the temple. The same God who helped a king rise up from being a boy against a giant to being the king of a nation. The same God who rescued those in the midst of a fiery furnace. The same God who caught the one who fell out the window while praying. The same God who caused the well to burp to allow Jonah to come out. The same God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The same God who brought down the Ten Commandments of Mount Sinai. The same God who rolled away the tomb from Jesus' grave. The same God who gave paradise to those that once crucified with Jesus. The same God who, who was right there in the midst of resurrection appearances on the Sea of Galilee. The same God who came through the walls and helped the doubting Thomas is the same God that you and I pray to today. And when he busts that little bubble and we find ourselves at his feet, then we will understand what our greatest need today really is. So what is your greatest need? Give it to God. He's not going to be shocked. He's not going to turn a deaf ear. He's going to rub his hands together and say, Finally, I got you. Got you right where I need you to be. And now you're getting ready to see something that's beyond belief that you didn't even know I could do in your life. Because what we saw is impossible. All things are possible with God. Let's pray together. Father, we call upon you and we recognize the joy of prayer. We recognize the need of prayer. We recognize the, the, the understanding of prayer. We recognize the needs that are in our life. But the greatest need is to be in a personal relationship deeper and deeper every day, coming to know you and coming to see you and visiting with you more and more every day. Father, forgive us where we failed you. 
wipe our slate clean because we're in need of forgiveness. We're in need of mercy. We're in need of kindness. Help us to let go of our own pride and pretense and to focus upon you as God in your majesty and in your power. Create within us a reverence, a great fear, so that our heart can be beating in step and in line with you so that our mind, our soul, and all that we have and all the strength of our life can be in focus and in oneness with you. As we tie our knot tighter today and we come to love you greater today, Father, we recognize that, that all that we've been dealing with all over the world has either caused two reactions, anger or love. And I relish in the stories of those who now are walking on their knees crying out to you than they never had from from when they never had in their life. And Father, it's caused many of us to be closer in our walk with you, to let go of the things we thought were more important, and to focus back on the basics. Father, thank you for the lessons that we learn every day in our life as we trust in you. We just want to say we love you, we honor you, and we magnify you as King of kings and Lord of lords today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.